Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. My name is Brad Nelson, and like always, I'm joined by my brother from another mother and co-host, Corby MTG. How's it going, bro? Well, you know, I am doing really good, bro, but really busy getting ready for this uh, <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, no, this weekend is the Zendikar Championship, all three of Oh, both of us. Both of us. <laughs> yeah, excuse both me. Of us. Who, do, you have an, do you have an alter ego or something? Or are you... Well, I do, but I, I, I did flibble flip a little bit uh, there with my words. But you got we lost? both have you got a lost? very important... Oh, of course. Lost in <laughs> translation, lost in words. I was making a flibble flip uh, joke, but it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we are totally lost in this introduction. There we go. We are both got part him. of this... Uh, the show I will be playing, Corey will be commentating this weekend's tournaments. The action starts on Friday, and that actually segues into what our topic is going to be this week. Yep. Real quick, you can find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher if you're listening to this on a social platform right now. Um, yeah, no, we are both playing this weekend. It starts Friday, and I've been testing really hard. You've been... Uh, setting things up and preparing this weekend so yeah definitely uh, a lot of testing as well that's for sure but uh you know and now it seems like your work is over and kind of mine get get started so we have such a weird dynamic these days yeah i mean i still have to play test like i definitely want to stay true, sharp um true. but i thought for this episode it would just be a great time to do an ultimate standard guide for our listener success because i do feel like we understand this format really well right now. Mm -hmm. I've got a very good grasp on it. Um, but then it's exciting. It. It's, it's super exciting right now. It's I a very, it's a very good format to talk about. Yeah, it's the best standard format we've had in a long time. You're correct on that. It really <laughs> reminds me of just, you know, being able to metagame a tournament. You know, it's not like, okay, which four flex slots should I have in my one ramp deck? You know, like it's it's a thing of the past for that, at least for now. And it's very refreshing to play. I must, it I must very, agree. It is it is very good, but I do have one problem with this format, and that's okay. why, you know, I've been having this bird-related issue due to, you know, Yorion, mm. so I wanted to bring an expert on bird law. Sadly, though, the only person who specializes in this area of law is a fictional character, so we decided to just go with BBD. Mm. Uh, so, so we just decided to go with BBD. Oh, I, I am so sorry. I got distracted. I was reading up on the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918. You guys familiar with that one? <laughs> no. no <we're> not. <laughs> You're not? What? Come on. No, that's, not. No. That is like prime when it comes to laws regulating the hunting and capture of birds. Come on. That's that's 101 content right there. Well, well oh, tell okay, me the well, bullet points then. Yeah. Jeez. Excuse me. I guess we did bring someone in who was an expert in bird law. Yeah. You young, said the Brian. only expert is a fictional character. Am I not real to you? Bird law is going great, by the way. Yeah. I'm, no, um, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm about to take the, uh, the bar exam to become a bird lawyer. What, so. what is, what is, uh, what is, is it the same bar exam? Like, no, it is a very different. It's a very low bar, actually. It's yeah. lower than the other bar exams. So, and I, I, I do have a question regarding this intro. Isn't Charlie Day playing Charlie Day? Therefore, he's not fictional. Uh, who's Charlie Day? What? Uh, Charlie. Charlie has okay. So Charlie Day is the person. Yeah, and he plays Charlie, but he doesn't have the same last name in the show. Oh, okay. I thought I thought they all portrayed themselves with their same names, but I well, guess this it's, is, it's this a, is a fun. Name, this is a fun fact. Um, four of the characters do 
uh, portray themselves as their their name, except yeah. for um, Dennis. Dennis, because the actor did not like playing a sociopath. And so he wanted to distance himself as much from the character as possible because he did not like carrying that <laughs> home with him. Yeah, yeah, that does not seem like the character you want to bring home to your family. That's for sure. So that makes sense. Yeah, and, and oh, what yeah. a wise decision that was because Dennis is an actual sociopath. Like, Oh, horrible. he's a monster. He's he a monster. Is. Some may even call him a menace, you know? Mm. Yeah. I don't, I, that, that joke sucked. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on, Dennis the Menace. All right, whatever. Whatever. I'll leave the jokes to you two today. But Brian, Brian, all of your jokes are fantastic. Thank Every you. One Thank of them, you. Just so you know. yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it's that. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on the Bash Bros podcast. Uh, Even no, if- <laughs> I must interrupt you here. The honor and the privilege is all mine. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, you guys run a wonderful podcast here. The brothers who mm. bash and I, you know, it's just, it's been a dream. It's not my main dream. Of course, my main mm. dream is bird law, but my second mm. dream has just always been to be on this podcast. So really, well, you're living your dream heart. then right now, huh? I'm this, living is, this is it. One of my dreams, not okay. the main, I'm living like a kind of like a lower tier dream. Okay. Um, it's, it's, a, it's also a lower bar to pass mm. for dreams. You know what? I don't want to. But seriously, no, thanks, guys. It's oh, true. my God, Brian, you brought back the bar joke. Oh, you're so funny. You're so funny. Thanks, Brian. Brian. I'll be bringing it back like three to ten more times this podcast. So <laughs> I'm glad that each and every time you'll find it funny because that's what I'll be doing for the rest of this three and a half hour long podcast episode. <laughs> yes, Brian, Brian, you are so fantastic. I'm just going to say today is the opposite day because I don't want to have to fucking do this shit anymore. <laughs> because I, in fact, do want to do this yeah, shit. We all want to do this shit. A lot more, actually. Yeah. I don't know. I just heard you say you didn't want to, Brian. I mean, it, it, we can rewind the tapes. That was Corey, a- we, we all know that that was my mixer. Oh, and it was opposite day. Come on, Corey, get with it. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I didn't know we were having mixers on the cast. I didn't know we were allowed to drink while we did the cast. I thought rules. Again, no, Corey, we're not doing not a good joke. It fell flat. Yeah, oh. we're not. We're not doing. We're not. Do, we're not doing mixers on the cast. That company is crap. We're doing uh, Twitch TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I hear you actually are pretty much the expert in Twitch as well, like second highest growing or something. Yeah. November 2019. I hate to brag, but yes. Okay. Mm, big year. December, yeah. you can only go up. Oh, One so place. Good, so good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 reel this back in, everyone, because yeah. we do have a topic. And before we get into it, um, <laughs> we just I want to talk about one upcoming event now. Three of these have passed, but they're the Star City Games Call Time Championship Qualifier. The road to that, excuse me, the road to the Call Time Championship Qualifier. Um, the fourth one is happening this weekend. So for those of you who, uh, after you see all of the Zendikar Championship uh, decks, uh, you, you'll be able to have a new kind of tuned metagame from the pros uh, on Friday and Saturday and all of the qualifiers, the flights that Star City Games is going to run. And then on Sunday, that is the championship where first place qualifies for the call time championship and then second through 12th will qualify for the call time championship qualifier. So no need to get yeah. top uh, 1200 and mythic uh, yeah. to qualify for that. So also this tournament has 5k in prizes. It costs uh, $5 
uh, well, $6 to uh, enter any of these flights and a 4-2 or better will get you qualified for Sunday. Lots of players have been playing them and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's been really fun. And the one thing that I would love, you know, just as a fan of Magic, when I watch the Zendikar Rising Championship is I always just want to get in there, right? Like I always just want to play whenever I'm not qualified for one of those events. And I mean, these are honestly going to be the perfect you know, tournament to be able to get that itch immediately. Because one thing we all know when it comes to a tournament like this, that is the same weekend as a pro tour or, you know, set championship, the metagame is exactly the same because people want to play the decks of the pros. So it really feels like you're in it, you know? The Bash Bros Podcast is proudly sponsored by BCW Supplies. BCW offers great products at an even better price. From their Elite 2 sleeves to the DeckBot line, you're sure to get an amazing product. I've been using their sleeves and deck boxes for the last year, and let me tell you, bro, their durability is unparalleled. Well, if you're interested in trying them out yourselves, you can go to bcwsupplies.com and order today. BCW Supplies. Protect. Store. Display. Slogans. Marketing. Magic. Wow. Yeah, they will, they will be quite tuned. And that's actually what the topic is this week is to get people set up for this weekend. Um, and sure, the, the metagame from this tournament might impact um, what we have to say, but in the same spot, you know, not everyone going to this tournament is going to be correct. So, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, hopefully this episode can help you miss a couple potholes when you see some metagame stuff because I feel very, very good about my understanding of this format. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually, you know, very happy to to dump that into this episode so everyone can understand where I'm coming from and in my card choices. Because like you said, Corey, each deck can be built in so many different ways. And that means that the way you design your deck is you can design it for certain metagames. Mm -hmm. And that and that's exactly what I did for this tournament, but that's a little foreshadowing. Um, before that, I, I do want to ask our special guest uh, about some magic. Now, you've been preparing for this tournament as well. Yes. Uh, is is there any, you know, um, broad strokes things that you want to talk about about it before we get into the nitty gritty? Or oh. any potholes we should jump into? Again, uh, from Corey, your just, just, just a shitty, shitty joke. <laughs> <laughs> just so bad. Wow, brutal. Brutal. God, it sounds like I need to be the special guest on this podcast instead of the host. Get treated with some I damn mean, respect yeah, around yeah, here. You get, you get, yeah, you get that special guest treatment. That's what it yeah. is, yeah. Okay. Oh, was that a pun, Brian? <laughs> yes, it was. Were you pleased oh, by it? Was it? So, it was so good. Shut Thank up, you. Pun. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate everything. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I love you, Kari. I Brian, love you, too. I would love to answer your question about magic. But unfortunately, it's only been 10 minutes and 32 seconds into the start of this podcast. We have another 12 minutes to, to cover before we lose Andrea Mangucci as a listener. Oh, and so good call. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, that, while that is true, while that is very true, um, <laughs> I'm going to break the fourth wall and say we, we don't actually have that much time because... You, as our special guest, are a diva and need to need to be done at a certain time. So Correct. we have a finite amount of time today. Correct. And so mm. I want to make sure that we get through all of our content. I, it's pretty important to me to lose Andrea by the beginning of the podcast, though. But I guess, yeah, let's let's go on. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, that is, that, I think that's a 
That's, we're that's actually, a wonderful business model. Like, we're actually trying to get everyone to stop listening. We're actually, no, just one person. Yeah, we're actually yeah. keep. No, we're actually keeping Andrea Mangucci by continuing to by starting to talk about magic now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was trying to go the other way, but yeah, never mind. I know. Bad joke, Brad. I'll I'll see myself out. We're, we're, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep Andrea Mangucci for this episode. I actually prepared for this tournament with him. It was a really weird motley crew of a bunch of people that weren't testing with people that just started talking. So at the end. M Mangu, Cedric, and I actually were all preparing together. Nice. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. And, and I had some conversations with Brian as well, but we were, we had, you know, drastic uh, opinions about like what we wanted to play. Pretty much we, we thought similarly. We were aligned we, for a very short period of time. Yeah. But then we wanted to attack. We wanted to play different decks. Yeah. Brad, you were on Kathos for a little bit? <laughs> no, never. But I am jealous of, of having the balls to play it. I gotta say though, I do feel I feel like both of my decks are uh, a million dollars choices because I will be attacking my not my opponent's life total, but my opponent's deck size in both tournaments. So mm. little uh, little spice there. Well, leading into that, do you want to disclose what you're playing? Because we talked in our mini-sodes about Brad's decks in, in detail, but we haven't heard from you, Mr. Brian Brondoon. Yep, I'll be playing Blue-Black Rouges in Standard. Rouges, okay. And I'll be playing the aforementioned Kethis combo in Modern. Oh, wow, I was joking. I can't believe you did. You ran it back? Yeah, I did. did uh, that's right. what I was talking about the other day when you were you were talking shit about Kethis, and I was like, dude, I actually registered Kethis. You, you didn't realize? Did you think I was joking? I was actually being serious. Well, impressive, impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it might be a bad deck. It might be a good deck. I know it's not a hated deck. Oh yeah, like the so I, I was trying to play not Kethis. And um, I, w I wanted to play Jun Sacrifice because I like that style of deck and mm -hmm. it's one of the better decks in the format and stuff. But I honestly, I just wasn't winning like that much with it. I wasn't like losing either, but I just didn't feel like I was like playing a deck that was beating the metagame. I don't know how to explain that exactly because I don't know, just everyone. It's a known quantity. Everyone's prepared for it. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the thing, like, I'm not saying this is, this shouldn't correlate exactly to what you're saying, but, you know, if you go 51% win percentage on the ladder, you get to Mythic. Right. Uh, you might have to play a lot, but you get to Mythic. Uh, but if you go 51% in a tournament like, you know, the Zendikar Championship, you'll get a very low prize. And, you know, it's it's not really where you want. Like, these are tournaments to spike. Yeah. And so if Especially you, for you two as MPL. No, well, no, even challengers. Challengers have to get in the top 12 or whatever challengers so that they can qualify for the gauntlets, right? Yeah, so, yeah they got yeah. three spikes or you're out. So, so they yeah, gotta, yeah. They yeah, got like to go 11-4, they qualify for the next one. But if you just re-qualify for all these tournaments in a row and you don't find yourself in a gauntlet to have an opportunity to get to the MPL or rivals, you know, as a competitive magic player, what are you doing? You're not, you know, reloading, re-upping on all of these tournaments is fine, but it's not, it's not the end goal if you're a competitive magic player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, 11 wins gets them into the challenger gauntlet. Does it? I thought yeah. it was just the, 
Uh, are you sure? Positive mathematically, it, it's it's that's the number it breaks down to. You know, with no draws. Oh, with, with only like 190 people. Yeah, with no draws and all that stuff, they were able to figure out exactly you know what what is needed as a challenger, and just put it in the rules. You know, as something to chase. Yeah, I was gonna look at that Swiss. I'm going to be 100% honest here. I actually don't even know the structure of the tournament. Is it? Do you have to qualify for day two, or does everyone play every round? It does. It is. Uh, luckily, you got, a, you got a man from coverage here, which knows the structure exactly. And it's uh, uh, one through three rounds is historic. Four through seven is standard. Four more wins to day two. And then eight through 11, historic. 12 through 15, standard. Uh, cut see, to top see, eight. See, 12 to wins auto locks you to top eight as well. So you got to go four and three to make day two. Once you auto lock for top yeah. eight, do you you're no done. longer you no longer play matches? Oh my you're god! You're done. Avoid avoid any kind of collusion, anything like that. Of course, I've been begging for them to adopt a structure like that for for years. I mean, I wrote articles on mm -hmm. when I was on Channel Fireball. It was 2016. I wrote articles about doing that. Yeah, and, and like, they finally did it. Yeah, finally. Yeah, I, I love that. Like, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk too much about that because that's not what our episode's about. But yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's exciting. Even enforcing that you can't concede and stuff. So really cool changes um, to the tournament that I, I was super happy about. Yeah. Go, mm -hmm. Going back to the thing, though, I I started playing with Kethis because I felt like it wasn't that... I, I wanted to give it due, due diligence because there was a lot of new cards that, yeah. were, that were in the format and stuff, and I wasn't really, like, brushing with John the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And... I actually didn't like any of the new cards. I'm playing zero new cards in my entire 75. I guess one if you count uh, a card from Zendikar Rising or whatever, but... Zero Kaladesh cards is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I'm playing I, okay. I, I'm playing zero Kaladesh cards unless I'm forgetting something. And then yeah. and then I, I, I only have one card from Zendikar, maybe minus some land-type land stuff. But yeah, I, I just... Uh, I didn't think that any of the new cards were very good, but I was crushing with the deck. And okay. no one has the hate anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, what is the hate these days? Is it Leyline, of course, and Rest in Peace, but, you know, that they both seem like they're not played at all. Well, I, actually, you do know the hate for the deck, right? What? Just playing a better deck. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. The hate, it, that, legitimately, that is the best hate that exists right now, is just playing a deck that's more consistent and, and better. <laughs> okay. uh, but. I actually just I changed my deck around to be a little bit more on the consistency side of stuff and just none of the frills. And okay. yeah, like honestly, there's just no like I haven't played against any ley lines or rest in pieces really. Maybe maybe Is it just cage rest in pieces, but yeah, it's just cage. It, it's a lot of lantern, um, soul something lantern, soul guide lantern, yeah, soul guide lantern. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a it's a lot of lantern. I mean that card is good against Kethis, but it's not as backbreaking as a permanent that you have to have the answer to to get rid of. So I don't know. I oh. haven't uh, haven't run into too much hate yet. And without hate, I mean Kethis can be a turn three win. You know, it can be a super explosive deck. So and it yeah. and is no, very it good. Seems good. Yeah, it is very good against the three and four color mid range decks too. That's a big oh, selling yeah. point too. Is I keep playing against those decks and. Some of the games are very close with Nissa. Like they kind of have to have a Nissa draw to keep pace with you. Yeah, um, otherwise they don't pressure you, right? Right. Yeah, if they're not pressuring you, like you'll always win pretty much. But 
So, you know, when they go like Thoughtseize, Growth Spiral, Uro, Thoughtseize, Nissa, or whatever, you, you, you probably lose that game. But should we be? I, I, I love this conversation. I love it, but this is a standard episode. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. We, were, we were waiting for you to. We didn't get to, to talk yeah. about Brian's uh, decks. I, I, I think it is important to get Brian's reaction of his decks, you know, this, and then, and then we'll get into just standard. But no, I, I'm really interested on, you know, what we expect from you because if you win the event, and you crush it in historic. We want to hear, we want to pick your brain beforehand. Well, we could also pick his brain afterwards. And I do not want to lose Mingu as, a, as another listener. All right. Touche. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we were talking about magic there. So that is true. <laughs> no, you can keep talking about it for, you know, no, Brad. No, we're done now. We're let's, done now. Let's get, yeah, let's get into standard. I'll talk more about my standard choice when we get to that deck. But yeah. Yeah, because right, I first, well, first I, we're going to start off with Demir Rogues. All okay, right, so, this is strategy. so I played Demir Rogues <laughs> for this turn. Yeah. Honestly, I do want to talk a little bit about Demir Rogues. Me personally, I think that deck is not good. Like, okay. well, I think it's I just maybe deck, how I play it or whatever. But well, I also think that the deck that you played on versus today was not good. Ooh, yeah, like you yeah, played a version. version. That version. Yeah, I mean, we were playing an SCG versus live event you know we took lists from the scg and that was the highest placing rogues deck at 17th place so oh wow and, really i didn't oh know yeah that. oh yeah no we we straight up we had a theme to versus and the one that did the best was with slither whips wisp and stuff and like i just i've never had great experiences once people figured out the escape mechanics have to be in every single sideboard so you know i don't know but maybe it's just not my style of play. I think that Rogues yeah. is favored game one against quite a few decks in the format. And then mm-hmm. it gets it gets a lot harder after board when people have all the escape cards. And to me, the game becomes a balancing act at that point because you have to you want to ba- you have to play this tightrope game where you balance to getting enough cards in their graveyard to enable your cards but not overdoing it such that you're going to just flood them with escape cards that they can use to beat you. Mm. <coughs> so it, or it even is, treat feasting troll kings and stuff too, right? Well, they do need three food for that, but yes, that's, sure. that's another example. Um, and there's a variety of ways that people have chosen to, to try to do like for rogues to try to be able to beat that. So one is to just play like a Zara, like just to play a deck that's not in on the milling plan. So like those are the rogue builds that don't have ruined crabs. Um, they're playing Zareth San and and so forth. And their game plan is more about using rogues to get a couple cards in the graveyard so that your like Zareth Sands are enabled or your into the stories are online. Uh, but beyond that point, they're not really interested in milling as a primary game plan. So that's one way to attack um, okay. those kinds of things. Uh, but I think that that version of Rogues is not as good uh, against a lot of the blue decks in the format. Um, like, you're going to be behind against other versions of Rogues, and I'm not sure how good your matchup is against, like, the, the Demir Control deck or, um, some like, the Teamer deck, for example, some of these other decks. I don't, I don't know how you match up, how well you match up against those decks with that version. Um, okay. Granted, I didn't test that much with it, but I so I, I could very much be wrong about it. And then there's the 16 creature version that's all about milling, where I, I don't know what the percentage is, but you probably win about half your games with damage and half your games with mill. 
Um, mm. And that that version with Luris, right? With Luris, that's the Luris deck. Yeah, that's okay, the Luris gotcha. version. And I think that that version is a stronger deck, just in the abstract. But, I think it always has been of all these versions. Yeah, I, I I think it's just a much stronger deck in the abstract. Like you just get a more cohesive game plan. You get um, better opening hands, better starts to the game. Uh, being able to go with Ruin Crabs and get seven cards in the graveyard super fast to to turn on really powerful effects very early in the game. And mm-hmm. Luris as an endgame threat just dominates so many matchups uh, where even if they are able to remove it, you can get it back with um, Agadim's Awakening and, and so many other things. And it just provides kind of like some amount of inevitability. So I think that's just a better overall rogue stack. But... The problem is is way more exploitable after sideboard um, yeah. with, with all the escape cards. So there's two versions of rogues. Uh, like Of decks that are playing the 16 creatures, there's two ways that people are approaching beating um, that sideboard plan. One is transforma- transforming yourself into a Zareth Sand deck after sideboard where you're now playing Zareth Sands and you're not as much on milling your opponent. You're more on um, that kind of a game plan where you use their graveyard as like a resource to connect with Zareth. And if you can get a great henge or whatever out of their graveyard, you know, you're going to win uh, most of those games. So that that's one option. I tested quite a lot with that and I actually didn't like it. I felt like, it was very easy to connect with Zareth San one time, but I wasn't necessarily winning unless I got like a really premium card off that one hit. Mm. Um, and then they would, you know, they play a love struck beast and they play something else. And suddenly I wasn't connecting again with Zareth San the rest of the game. And I'm drawing extra copies of the card, um, which you still can use, but it's not like the most effective. And I don't know, I, I wasn't doing that well with it. So the other option I went with, what, and this is what I actually registered, is I'm actually just playing a bunch of Soul Guide Lantern in my sideboard as, like, I'm just overloading on my own graveyard hate between Soul Guide Lantern and, uh, and Klingos. Okay. And Soul Guide is really uh, strong there because it replaces itself even when you get a creature, which is big, because that's the problem. Like, the problem with Klingodusk is if you're clinging a creature out of their graveyard, you're not drawing the card from it. And even though you're denying them like that one particular ox or whatever, you're still down a card effectively. Mm. And you can mm-hmm. still like fall behind and lose that game just through natural yeah. gameplay. But Lantern will get you that card back. So that that's pretty effective there. Um, even when it gets a creature and you can leave it in play. So like a lot of, so there's going to be turns later in the game where you're like, all right, my opponent has 30 cards in their deck. I want to mill them for 12 cards, three turns in a row, and that'll win me the game. But, you know, like I don't have a way to deal with like, what if I mill over a Phoenix and an ox? Like, you know, mm. like that's going to be really problematic. You can just keep your lantern in play and, and get rid of their entire graveyard. And if, if at that point in the game, you've already you like, cast a couple into the stories or whatever it doesn't really matter that they have cards in their graveyard or not um and you'll be able to refill it again the very next turn so i think that that's a better way to approach the deck i i could be wrong like but that's just my take on it is i'm still going to try to turbo mill my opponent 
And I'm going to try to just use Lantern to pick off the, the problematic cards and stick to having a, like, a super cohesive, powerful deck and hope that that's good enough. That was really long-winded. Yeah. I'm sorry, but... No, you're good. No, that was great. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that got us through... I mean, that got us pretty much everything about Demir mm-hmm. Rogues. Like, I agree with everything you're saying. I think that... I personally like the Gadwick versions, but... Um, I think that the Crab Lurus versions are just better. They're better in the mirrors. I feel like they, when I played Gruul decks, um, I was way more scared of losing. Like the, already, that's the bad matchup for any Rogue variant. Yeah. But I thought I thought that you know early Crab draws were what I lost to the most. And yes, mm-hmm. sometimes their sand would get you, but those draws can also easily fall apart if you have the right removal spells. You kill a few things, um, and then all of a sudden the Zerstan never really gets an opportunity. And if people uh, are starting to yeah. play like Soul Seers and stuff too, like it's it's not quite <clears throat> as effective. And I think Crab is low key one of the better cards against Mono Green Food. You know, like for the mill plan and enabling, it's a yeah, card so you, you never you really want to kill. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I think that is actually a really good choice. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sold that Rogues is. I think Rogues is a good choice if Teamer shows up, <clears throat> but um. Yeah. Let's let's actually talk about the format broad strokes. Pull it back for a second. Let's okay. do it. Um, um, pretty much, I think that the metagame is three green decks. Like the top part of the metagame is three green decks, three blue decks, and three fringe decks that all have some varying amount of popularity. So the three green decks are Gruel, Mono Green, and Teamer Ramp. The three blue decks are Demir Rogues in whatever style, Esper, Doom Foretold, and this new evolving Demir control strategy that we'll we'll spend some time on. And then the three rogue decks that are popping up are Mono Red. That's fringe more than rogue, because we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Selesnya Adventures, and then a Mardu Doom deck, which is effectively just uh, an Orzhov Doom deck, but it splashes for red for Omen and Ruinous Ultimatum. Yeah. So the red o- the red Omen is is really nice with a Doom for the deck because it kills something and can be sacrificed the two for one enchantments are very powerful against creature based decks and there's a lot of creature based decks right now mm-hmm. sacrificing Rampa. a lot when it comes to uh teamer matchups without having counter spells but probably yes. advantaged against aggressive decks where the removal is better well that's that's why they're sideboarding the necrophobia actually and i think the necrophobia which is just i think the cranial extraction uh, whatever you want to call it um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that effect to get those ultimatums out of the deck um, you know, whether it's ultimatums or Ugins and other matchups or what have you, um, is the approach that this deck is taking, which is not a bad approach because right now decks are pretty all in on their card advantage spells, right? Mono Green yeah. is is the great henge and trail are their their sources of card advantage. Um, you know, ultimatum is the big one for teamer. The fact that you said and though really scares me for that type of card because that means there's two things that are important in that matchup. You know, and and that's why I've I've notoriously hated cards so, like that. But yeah, so uh, there's there's multiple cards that are important, but I think spells are the most important thing to hit with a card like that because mm. you you have answers of permanence, like your entire deck yes. is answers of permanence. So yep. there being like so there being like a spell that you you really want to hit, and then there also being a permanent that you're happy to hit. Um, it yeah. isn't like that bad of a thing because if you draw one copy you're like well i know what i'm naming with this i'm going for the spell that really screws me over um mm-hmm. but if you draw the second copy you're like it's not that bad because there's still these permanents i don't want to see on the battlefield um so i, I don't know that that's actually a, a, a necessarily a knock against it um, okay. 
The other thing I want to note is that Raph Levy, I I don't know if he was a, the original player, but he actually played this deck during the league play, Mardu uh, Yorion. And I think mm-hmm. he had a pretty good record, like seven and five, or I guess that was the only the 11 round one. So maybe it was six and five or something, but I think he had a over 50% record with it. Um, Are you sure? I thought it was Jess guy. I thought he played Mardu. Hmm. I'm almost God, positive I, he wouldn't because he played four glimpse of freedom in the main. Um, I, I I just covered one of his matches and he was, was that the first week people. or the second week. Um, I guess I'm not a hundred percent sure, but yeah, sorry if if I'm wrong on that. But uh, well, well, it doesn't matter too much. Um, because now this deck is like a thing. Um, but yeah, like that Selesny Adventures and Mono Red, I think are like the fringe decks that are all like. Showing up and sometimes having decent records. Um, and so, like, a deck like Slesney Adventures wouldn't surprise me if a team showed up with a tuned deck of it because it's like top eighting tournaments and it looks like garbage to me um, just by the look <laughs> of it, right? It's playing a lot of like garbagey cards, like aggro mm-hmm. cards. Like, you couldn't convince me to play an aggro card. And yes, Lovestruck Beast and Mammoth are technically aggressive, but they're not. They're just enablers for your great henges, right? Yeah, and, and sorry, then, cor- correction on that. He went from Jeskai to Marty. You were right. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did play Marty. Yeah, but yeah. So, oh, go for it. I was gonna say I played against him. It would be really bad if I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that. That, that was my fault. I remember <laughs> covering a match of it, but it was week one, so that was my bad. Cool. But yeah, so I, I, I think that the big three green decks have been obviously like two weeks ago. They were the most powerful things, right? Mono Green, Teamer, and Gruel were very uh, the most played decks. They were even the most played deck, the, deck this past weekend. But all three of these blue decks have been consistently the next three. Rogues, Control, and um, Esper Doom are filling up that. So these, this is the metagame we have, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's where I actually want to talk about my first point, and we're going to bring up Teamer. Now, Teamer did win the last Star City Games Road to Call Time Championship Qualifier um, with the 63-card version, and... and uh, it might be mathematically correct, but it looks so awkward to me to see a 63-card deck. <laughs> right. Um, but it makes sense, right? Maybe that's how you have to do it for the mana to be right. And also there's mill strategies. So, like, and it, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And uh, ever since we saw 64-card Obzon um, Agro win a Grand Prix in the hands of um, Ruben, Ben Ruben. Yep. That was a glorious. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he's one of the the OG best magic players, or at least best deck tuners, best thinkers the game has ever had. And so, you know, when he it made sense to him because that's how the mana worked. And this is a deck that you need a bunch of dual ends, but you also need a bunch of basics. And you have this adventure package, and you also have this cultivate ultimatum package. Sure, sixty three cards. <laughs> um, so be it. I also think that these. 63 versions are better than the 60 card with mammoths in them. Okay. Uh, I just don't like the mammoth. It just doesn't play a great role in this deck. Like, sure, it can be really good with the Terror of the Peaks when they come in and you get the landfall and you get to shoot for more. But um, Spikefield Hazard is just a great split card right now because it can it can get, you know, the <clears throat> the Edgewell Innkeepers. It can get the 1-1s for Lovestruck Beast. There's Tangled there's Forhedron. Yeah, there's rogues, there's mana creatures, and it's just a land. So and also get uh, brazen borrowers too. Yeah, 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 and they went thirteen zero as well, which was damn impressive. Went, well, so they went eleven. <laughs> yeah, they went um, eleven zero actually because they had two buys because they went six zero in a qualifier. 
<laughs> wow, really? So they just went 17 and 0? Yes, to win this tournament, they went 17 and 0. Impressive. Impressive. It is, it is. But, and that's why it's even worse when I want to say that I think that Teamer Ramp is going to be the most exploited and it's going to have a, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to have a pretty bad performance this upcoming weekend. I think it's going to be, it's going to underperform and be underrepresented. Okay. Rel okay. Relative, relative to where things have been in. I could be wrong. I could be definitely wrong. Um, and, and I know we touched on this, bro, in the mini-sode, but for people that haven't listened to that, like, why would you say that? Because, you know, on paper, it seems like a powerful deck. Like, what's being exploited about it? So I, I have found that this deck um, gets exploited by the blue strategies. Uh, okay. I, I was I was winning a, like I thought it's Esper Doom matchup was going to be bad, but I was actually winning that matchup. I was beating it whenever I was playing the blue black control decks. And yes, this is ladder and it wasn't targeted testing, but it's it, it made sense to me because this deck is very rigid by design. It's a mm -hmm. cultivate deck. And so if I have counter spells in my deck and I counter the cultivate, then they just play an adventure creature and I kill that. And then they have to tap out for an ultimatum, and I have disputes in my sideboard and negates in my main decks and, yep. and other counter spells. And it just felt like it fell apart. And so anyone that thinks that this deck is going to be very popular will want to play a blue deck. And the blue decks, um, if all three green decks are trying to fight each other with main deck of Crone Wars and, you know, Koglas and all of these like anti green cards and all of the strategies then these blue decks actually have higher win percentages against all three of them. Hmm. That is an interesting way to uh, think that's going to unfold, but I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah like I... Oh, what's up, Brian? I was going to say, one of the really interesting things about Teamer is that it's a almost all-creature deck where Negate is actually a legitimate card against it. Yes. yes <laughs> Which is no. weird. Like yeah. if, you, if you can negate like the make-a-human side of Lovestruck Beast, or you can negate the Beanstalk uh, the fertile footstep side of beanstalk giant or whatever mm -hmm. like that's a good play so yeah and yeah, just I disputing that... the genesis ultimatum that is so huge yeah uh that it runs into that collateral damage you know yeah and now now teamer's best matchup is actually the deck that i'm playing which is monogreen food and because that's how i my theory is and i don't think the deck's going to be like i don't think teamer is going to be that lowly played i i assume it's going to be like 10 to 15 percent of the metagame Okay. Um, it, 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 I could see it spiking up to like 18%. I would be shocked if it's over 20. Hmm. Um, but, and so I'm playing its best matchup and my build of mono green food is ignoring the matchup. Um, so, so that is a little bit scary. Like I'm playing a version with three witches oven main and Ugin in the main, two more Ugins in the sideboard. I came prepared for blue decks and mirrors and I'm just leaning on the decks inherently good matchup against Gruel without any of the extra cards. I wanted to make sure that I had all the tools necessary to beat blue decks and mirror matches uh, because the only way to build a green deck to beat a team of ramp deck is to fit like 10 cards in your deck to combat them, like a bunch of fight cards, some Garrick's Planeswalkers or whatever, like just being a kind of a different deck, trying to do something your deck's not designed to do. Yeah, I think your deck is awesome for what it's worth, bro. Um, I think I still would have jammed Esper Doom just because I, I'm hooked on that type of archetype and I played all the time. But I played food for one event. And I mean, the power level is just unreal on this deck. The things you can do that aren't obvious right away until you start playing it. 
really really gives you a lot of leeway when Wait, what, when what, what are those so. things because i really haven't played it oh really oh god no, no i'm joking no i'm joking but the deck is exceptionally technical and difficult to play but what, yeah, what are those things <laughs> seriously what are they like what what are some of the things you can do well, I mean, I'm just saying some of the hardest things to do with mono green food is like when to try to gain more card advantage, when you feel like you have to put something onto the battlefield. Like it, it's not easy when it comes to sequencing with this deck and also just, you know, things like witch's oven, sacking, feasting troll king to get two food. Like when you have great engine play, then one more food, you get that activation. Um, that's something that, you know, I, I watched somebody else do and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, and, and just little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, it, those it, are it, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of little technical things. It's also sequencing and figuring out because like early game, um, your first three turns can sometimes be complicated because sometimes you'll want to goose Wicked Wolf, but you only had one food. And, you know, you have you have eight creatures that are also lands and your deck plays you know, a, a metric ton of mana, like 31 land sources. Yeah. Um, but eight of them can be played as spells, so sometimes those are difficult. Figuring out when you're supposed to Love Stark Beast, a lot of times you don't even make the 1-1 one, one with Love Stark Beast because of, like, curve consideration. Mm. And, and and you're just putting into play to threaten uh, a Great Henge. And, but then there's other games where, like, if if you sequenced your Witches Oven into play, now your Wicked Wolf is way more threatening. Uh, cause you can like, yeah. you know, sack your gilded goose to get a food. So now it can be a, a bigger creature and, and things like that. So I have found that like these little decisions add up and, totally uh, make, make a lot of games difficult. Some of the games that are the most fun though, is when you have two ovens in play and your opponent says go on a clogged board and you're like, sack my good creature, sack my good creature, untap, sack my good creature, sack my good creature. Ugin, wipe the board, put two trolls back into play, your turn. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Honestly, I was so skeptic of Witch's Oven in this deck. It looked so bad on paper. Yes. But playing against it with any kind of exile effect or just any removal, it's the most frustrating thing ever, that annoying one mana artifact. I'm actually yeah. terrified to play against it with, with rogues because so much of my strategy re- revolves around cards like um Low mages domination and and stuff like that for matchups like this. Yeah. That I like that's the card. I'm like, please don't have a witch's oven, you know. So yeah, see, which, which seeing this version is... here, you're playing three. So a lot of the lists I saw only had two. Um, some mm-hmm. like I can I can see how this is much better lined up against the blue decks than uh, some of the other versions of this deck. Yeah, yeah and even rogues, <clears throat> rogues, rogues. It's good against, but witch's oven is like make or break against Esper Doom and. Blue black control. It is like the literal yeah. best card you have in your seventy five. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, a a super strong thing. And like the the spider from the board against rogues, not great. It's probably the worst escape card. But when you have to balance dealing with that card as well as controlling, you know, the feasting troll king interactions, I would be afraid to uh, BBD. But yeah, I, I I just personally am bad at playing rogues, I've learned, but Yeah, I mean like the the spider a lot of people say the spider's bad, but also like it's a free roll that you just get to mill and your deck actually after cyborg in those matchups has a pretty low curve. Yeah. And and so like and you and you play four castles. So 
it's easy to sequence those with other things. Now, I think that the spider was awful in decks like Gruul because Gruul also played all these bigger threats and these these ember cleaves or what have you. You know, all this garbage yeah, on top. I was saying bad in the broad strokes of all the escape cards, but, you know, when that's the only one you can play, still good, of course. But Yeah, and, and, and that's also why Ooze is there, too, to lower your curve and, and be able to interact that way, too. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but yeah, so I like this deck for that metagame and pretty much my my judgment on this tournament hinges on if I'm right about teamer or not. Now, I could be wrong, but I have found that I can exploit it, but I also can win with it. But that's yeah. a lot of ladder testing and I didn't have a huge team to test all the matchups. So I had to go off gut and my gut is telling me that teamer is a very good, you know, SCG tour deck. And and we've seen this at different tournaments where. You know, it's a deck dominates. I remember when, you know, Bant Coco dominated on the, the tour and people were talking about it being banned. And then, you know, the next tournament, the Pro Tour, Pro Tour rolls around and everyone's playing turn one Vessel of Nascency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. On the flip let's side, go. though, there's also been situations where a deck has dominated and then continues to dominate too. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not like, a, you know, like we... So I, I didn't want to play Teamer because I was afraid of having a, an outdated list or not being super pre prepared with the deck and running into players who had better mirror plans or who were exploiting Teamer, which like Brad was saying. So like I, I actually tested more with Teamer than I did with Rogues, but eventually played Rogues because I, I had the fear in me. But the thought that kept running through my mind was when uh, Aaron Gertler won dream hack with teamer adventures last year way or, back in the day yeah. yeah or maybe that was earlier that must have been earlier this that was year earlier this year yeah that was earlier this which year which was four years ago yeah yeah so five years ago <laughs> yeah. yeah uh eric gertler won dream hack with with teamer adventures and then brad and i both just played it, it again like the next weekend um almost just straight running it back i mean we had a couple different cards in our deck and mm -hmm. we both dominated so you know that deck stayed I mean, I good still, but I, yeah. I agree that we dominated but i also was very frustrated with that tournament because that, that tournament was awarding points for mpl and two of my opponents literally like had the win on the board and just punted them you know so the competition was i i you know wasn't that great in that tournament in my opinion yeah i had an um, opponent throw, chuck, chuck a match as well like literally yeah just chucked it on board like i was dead and i was a little you know frustrated not salty but you know like the like oh humbug when you're about to lose yeah and then and then they just like didn't do the the thing and i'm like holy shit i just win what the hell and uh, you know like what the <laughs> thank hell? you very much yes yeah um but yeah, so let's move on to these blue decks, because I think the blue decks are what hinges on the matchup against Teamer. And Teamer has been popular for a few weeks, but the blue decks are all rising in popularity. As you see tournaments, they all had worse records. They're getting tuned. They're getting better. More people are playing them. And even from this past weekend of the SCG tournament, uh, I know the win percentage stuff is small sample. It doesn't really matter that much. But like we saw Rogues, as well, Asper actually did pretty bad. But like Demir Control um, had a 50% win percentage, but that was two different variations of the deck. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, but that's like still still needs to be homogenized and find the best version, which I think we'll find we'll find this weekend. Um, and I already know a few players that are playing Blue Black Control and they think it is just the nuts, right? 
And so, um, you know, let's talk about that deck because we all know Gruul as the third green deck. So Demir Control, yep. there is two ways that it's being built, but let's talk about the most popular, which is a Yorian deck that plays Solemn Simulacrum, Atreus, Ashiok, and um, Ugin at the top end. Four, three to four Ugins at the top end and plays Maze Mines, Tomes, Omens, um, an entire set of the, uh, what's the four spike that can be played as a land? Jawari Disruption. Yes, Jawari Disruption, Neutralize, Extinction of Enderal, Four Ofs, Heartless Axe is a Four Of, and then it just plays, you know, a few Negates, a few Eliminates, a few Essence Scatters, a few Clings, um, a few uh, Blood Chief's Thirsts, mm -hmm. two to four Elspeth's Nightmare, and, that, and that's the deck, and then a bunch of lands. Um, I personally have liked, like I saw Gregor Skwalski tweet out their deck list, and they have a Sublime, Sublime Epiphany in their list, and at the end of my testing with this deck, when I gave up on it, I actually was playing two. I was mm. playing I was playing three Ugans, two Sublime Epiphanies, two Ashiaks, two Atreus, four Solemns. And because I found when I was testing um, Fabrizio and Terry won the NRG Series tournament this past weekend with a version that didn't play Solemn or Ugin and just played three Ashiaks and two Sublime Epiphanies, I found that those two cards are just so good against green decks. Yeah, um, and I think Solemn is just an unplayable magic card right now, to be honest. Um, I don't think so with where, like, it's bad against Demir Rogues, right? Like, it's unplayable there, and it's not that good against Gruul, but I do think that it's playable in the other matchups. I really do. I think the, mm -hmm. the card would be unplayable if you didn't have four Ugans in your deck, but because, like, because you play a card like Solemn, and it, it, is, it is unimpressive, like, you know, it gets you an extra land and they draw a card when it chump blocks something, but like none of that's really like that impressive in the context of what other people other people are doing. Yeah. Um, but when you're playing it in a deck that is hundred percent reactive and you have this over the top threat, like or this over the top like board clear slash threat like Ugin, it mm -hmm. certainly looks like a lot better. But when you're really reactive, how often can you tap out on turn four? Um, and if you can't play it on turn four, what are you doing with it? Is is kind of where I my headspace well, is at. Definitely turn it. six and then turn seven again. Like there, yeah, you know, it doesn't yeah, have to be. A that's fair. Play. Also, yeah. also like you're if you play a removal spell on their like a big if it's a great henge matchup, you you play a removal spell on their thingy mabobber so that they can't great henge. Like you have time to cast this. Like this format gruel is the only deck where they can really on the play get you behind to play Solemn. But when I was casting Solemn, like, I felt like it was totally fine against Esper Doom in the mirror matches against, uh, against um, Mono Green. And I actually think it was great against Mono Green because they're just trying to gain card advantage and you're trying to get to Ugin. Mm -hmm. The funny Mono Green, I do agree it's good against, but the funny that's thing about, about all this, I've liked it. The funny thing about this format is it's kind of backwards because... Um, at least, and I, you know, you guys can disagree if you think I'm like way off base with this, but it feels very backwards where the control decks are actually, actually get out way ahead of the aggro decks, but then lose the late game. <laughs> oh, I, I, I am a hundred percent with you. I which is nor like normal magic formats are not like that. Like a normal magic format is the control deck is struggling early on just, just to hang around, like to not <laughs> yeah. die. And then once it gets past like turn six or seven. Like if they're not dead, they're gonna win. Um, yeah, but this format weird. feels like the complete reverse, where it's like 
your opponent doesn't play a thing until turn three and you have a, a million two mana removal spells just waiting <laughs> for them to play their thing. Like the control <laughs> decks are actually way ahead early, but then all these cards like Great Henge and uh Brilliant Ultimatum and um like you know Ox and all these like cards that provide Trail of Crumbs, trail of crumbs and stuff, like you just can't close after starting ahead with these control decks you just get grinded out late and that so like i actually don't think that you're struggling to have a moment to cast a solemn most of the time is that a reason to not play the deck you think though or i mean i know both of you didn't submit it so obviously you have your reasons but is is that a reason to not play this deck because the other decks out grind them so so i actually um my approach to this tournament was thinking that this deck would be played so i actually played a version of mono green that can beat them that long um i think there are other people that are going to try to aggro them like you see these builds with garrick's in the sideboard mm-hmm. and 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 they're they're trying to curve and attack them but just like brian said you, you sometimes just start with like a three drop and they have a million two mana removal spells like no mono green deck can out no no deck really just gets to out aggro and just go beat down against these strategies like you have to have card advantage built in because the spells are really good um the removal spells are very good in the format so uh you know i i don't think everyone's gonna have a build like mine uh but like i mean i bring ugans in against demir control that's how like brian said it's a fucked up format i'm playing a mono green deck and i'm bringing ugans in to beat their ugans <laughs> an eight drop for a counter spell deck let's hey, go if they, if they sweep your board you either crawling barons it you you uh Questing beast it or you ugin it yourself. Like when when they go ugin minus six and you sack your troll to your thing and then you go ugin kill your ugin put my troll back into play. Good like, luck. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And I mean, I played a little bit of uh, the Demir deck and I had some pretty good experiences, mostly with Ashiok. I think that was the card that threw it over the top, and I was playing much more of that card. Because I think that card is excellent, but you know, still running into the same problems that you're that you run into as a control deck, right? Like you're kind of easily uh, exploitable. Maybe not as much as maybe Demir Rogues is in the format, but you know, I hated that aspect of not having multi-dimensional ways to attack, like Green Food, you know, like Gruel. Um, I think I think you're yeah. way more exploitable than Rogues. You might not be more currently exploited because okay. Rogues is a is a more established quantity in the format and so people are you know their lists are naturally built to have a plan against rogues and the same might not be true for demir control Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a newer it's kind of a newer deck and not everyone's adjusted for it or maybe it's not even popular enough for people to adjust to it but Mm -hmm. in general i think that demir control is is a way more exploitable strategy than rogues because rogues at the very least you can go you know one drop into two drop into one drop two drop and you just you're attacking for you know an absurd amount seven or eight damage on the third like you can you can attack for obscene amounts very early in the game backed up with removal and you can win games like that even if your opponent has a great game plan against yours so. well even even bring uh, that up I, I agree with you and i do think that mirror control is technically a little spread thin even though i do think it's going to be a popular choice the reason i say that is when i was testing it it was the maze mind tomes 
That is a card that I did not want in my deck when I played against a green deck because I never felt like I had time to draw cards and I just was scrying and sometimes I didn't even get to the life before I died. Mm -hmm. um, and But then if you don't play it, you're never going to win a mirror match or against these other card advantage frenzy decks like the other blue decks. Like you're just, yeah. you can't keep up with them without card advantage. Yep. And so you have to play Maze Minds Tomes to do that. And so I was very frustrated about that because I couldn't find a healthy balance against the green or blue deck. So, you know, that's that's where you kind of have to pick your spot. I felt like, you know, I, I, you know, with the six decks, I felt like you should try to the like beat all the green decks and maybe one of the blue decks with a blue deck. And I think that Demir Control is built that way here. Like, I think this deck has a good matchup against Esper Doom, but a bad matchup against um, Rogues, which makes it a decent choice. Like build it to beat all the green decks and one of the blue decks. Um, and then the same thing is like Mono Green, in my opinion, is Mono Green is built to beat one of the green decks and and hopefully all the blue decks. And that's kind of yeah. how Rogues is kind of positioned similarly to Mono Green. I, I mean, Brad's build of green might might be an issue, but I think Rogues is kind of set up where it's like, you're beating the other blue decks and you're, you know, you're going to have struggles against Gruel and like maybe your matchup against the other two green ducks is, isn't like not, it's not bad per se, but it's not like a slam dunk matchup. Um, but you should be favored against both of the other blue decks. So that, that's kind of, I think it's kind of like the blue deck that's positioned similar to mono green as well. If that makes sense. Yeah. Totally. And then the last deck is Esper Doom, a deck that Corey would play. I It was actually my only other choice. By the by Sunday morning, I was either going to play Esper Doom or Mono Green, and I made that <laughs> decision already. Um, I yeah, was working you, with Mango. Mango you, told me you, were really play, good. you told me you were going to play Esper Doom. I was very surprised when you said that, but yeah. Well, I mean, I was surprised too. It's The only reason is I really, really think that the uh, if you if you ignore... Um, the Demir Rogues matchup um, with my next statement. The white removal spells are literally the best I've ever seen them. Like, yeah, I think yeah. Skyclave Apparition and Elspeth Conquers Death are in such a good spot uh, because there's so many permanents that are being dodged by removal right now that you really want to hit. Now, of course, you don't want to play this deck against a deck with four fucking Ugans. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would have played an Esper Doom list with a lot more counter spells in the main, which just generally makes you worse of an Esper Doom deck because you have to play to the battlefield. But, um, you know, that, that's the route I would have went down in, but not saying I would have, you know, won the tournament or anything. Well, the reason I, I ended up not playing is I do think the deck is not the best. And um, I thought that it was good against the green decks the way that we had it built, but it was bad against the blue decks. Hmm. And and so I that's why I gave up on it. Um, and I just I, I kind of fell in love with the way to play green. I just was it was clicking with me. The way to play it made sense. Um, maybe I just logic myself into a hole uh, and made myself just believe team would be underrepresented. Well, relative to what I was thinking, like two days prior, like on Friday before deck selection, deck submission was due. Uh, I was thinking like teamer might be 25, 30% of the field. But then as the metagame was evolving and I was seeing matches play out, um, I was like, you know what? I actually just don't think that anymore. I think it's going to be lower and lower played. And it's, it, it, you know, with, with uh, about 40% of the field being rivals and MPL, 
I just don't think that's the deck people are like, you know, this is this is where I'm going because Gruel is starting to beat it now, too. Um, I don't know if Gruel ever stopped beating it, to be honest. You know, like if I'm maybe. on the draw as the Esper Doom player against no, no, Gruel. No, sorry, I was talking about Teamer. He's talking about Teamer. Oh, oh, OK, OK. I was going to say Gruel Adventures like that's Esper Doom is supposed to beat that deck. And I think on the play, it is a very easy game to win. But on the draw, I don't even consider it a, a, a good thing, you know? Really? I actually think that that matchup is very good. It, it's fine, but it's it's definitely not a slam dunk or whatever. No, I, I, I mean, would have rather played against Mono Green if I was an Esper player, you know? Yeah, Gruel on the play is the best deck in the format. Um, I, I truly believe that. I agree with you. Yeah, it's just tough to beat all their different possible draws, especially with the deck that's sorcery speed, most mostly sorcery speed enchantments. But yeah, at the agreed. same time, I was beating it, and the Archons feel really good in this deck. Um, after okay. Cyborg against, I mean, I bring an Archon in a lot of matchups, you know? Yeah, I was always pretty unsure of that card, um, but it, it makes sense why it's good, because people do not leave in too much removal against the deck, because you can't. You can't. You really can't. Yeah, no, I, think, also, I think Archon is, is a great card. Yeah. yeah. Also, you sometimes get to sequence it with your Elspeth's Nightmare. So you're like, take the thing, play the Archon. But if they have a removal spell in their hand, you take the other thing. Like, yeah. if, you're, if you're able to slam an Archon, just take the removal spell. If you don't have an Archon in hand, take the Nissa, leave the, or take the Vivian, leave the removal spell. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's such a powerful, you know, card to play on turn three. Yeah, Elspeth's Nightmare is just unreal. Or or just setting up Doom Foretold. That play was just always been one of my favorites. Um, yeah, yeah, just a phenomenal I, card. I also think it's an uh, absurdly good card in a deck that has a sideboarded threat. For that yeah. reason, because even if they bring in removal, like you can sometimes interact with that removal, or if you can interact with something else when you don't draw your threat. So it's mm. it adds it adds to that like you know you know the whole thing where it's like you know, removal for the one threat isn't good out of a control deck because when you draw it and they don't draw their threat, it's dead. When they yeah. draw their threat and you don't draw your removal, you die to it, and it only lines up, you know, the one-third of the situations. Well, Elspeth's Nightmare actually makes it way worse for you. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I've been yeah. ex I, that's been something that I've exploited a number of times in the past in Magic, and I love that is the, the sideboard creatures out of control because, like, I mean, I'm thinking about like Nightville Spectre and Esper Control or whatever. It was the same mm -hmm. concept. Oh, yeah. It's like, dude, if they keep their removal spell is in against my Sphinx's Revelation deck, hell yeah, you know, like yeah, please. And but it, but then if they don't have it and they don't kill it, it'll still win the game. Like, yeah. I don't know, like that. That's yeah. that. Uh, it is a great strategy, and I think Archon is a is a really good card at playing that role too. So. And one thing that I think this this archetype has really struggled with since we lost. Um, you know, Narset and Teferi is just having a good ECD target to bring back. Like I've had so many times where it's like, I need to cast ECD, but I have no good plan to bring it back, to bring anything back. And just another permanent that is very excellent to bring back if it does die, does hold some value to me. Yeah, for sure. But also I, I'm under the impression that the third part of Elspeth Carker's death is kind of fucked up. And just being able to kill any big thing and then stop them from playing a thing and then setting up for your third turn. It's like, it's just oh, yeah. gross to me. 
It's probably healthy that there's no really good three mana planeswalker to bring back. Because when you brought back Narset before Teamer Adventures became a deck, oh, that you know, was stupid. That was the most disgusting thing ever, and that might have been when I was happiest in Standard. So I, Aaron, uh, it was a Getter. Sorry, I forgot his last name. Gertler, Gertler, yeah. I cursed his name so many times for that tournament because it made my favorite deck unplayable. Bringing a Narset back and putting it on six loyalty was just so much fun. I think the last time that I was just like, holy shit, why is this possible? Like, this is this is so much fun, but should not happen. Was just <laughs> yeah. the the generic fires, um, just guy fires deck. Not even after they even nerfed companions. Just the like. Why am I allowed to attack my opponent for 28 damage with, with spending no mana? You know, to, to you know, just... Oh, the Cavalier up. ones? Yeah. yeah, I was just like, why am I allowed to do this? This is this should not. Yeah, yeah. And then when you got to combine it with Luca, it was really, oh, I really should not be able to do this. Someone please help. Yeah. Well, that didn't feel like magic. You know, that just felt yeah. like a different game. Like, when... You know, when I would hit Yahtzee, when you would have three agents in play, and you're like, oh, shit, I mm -hmm. draw nine cards. I didn't even realize that. And the crazy thing is the Jeskai Fires was before Luca, you know, so that was yeah. left for its own devices for so long. Yeah, but but yeah, so um getting back to on topic, mm -hmm. um, these are these are the six decks. Uh let's actually figure out ranks and what we think will be like, you know, what what do you think are good deck choices? Now, all the decks that we are talking about, including uh, my list will be in the Discord. Um, and Brian, I bet you'll post yours on Thursday as well. Yeah, I can post um, Hell no, he won't. He's yeah, keeping and, that secret. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the decks that we're looking at are just from the SCG tournaments. But uh, I'll post my monogreen deck on Thursday in the Discord. Um, you know, where where do we actually think? Like, what do you think that my assumptions are on? Brian, now, Corey can't really <laughs> give us too much information because he actually knows the metagame. Yeah, I'll be a silent observer and, uh, and, and just, just listen, all, yeah. And for all of you at home, no one has broken an NDA. Corey and I take this shit very seriously. We are very honored and privileged to be a part and have a relationship with Wizards. We'll disagree with them when we think that we should, but we're not going to break NDAs while working for them. Yeah, 100%. So, so, I'll, so I'll, I'll watch and uh, figure how close you guys are. We'll all figure it out uh, for next podcast. Yeah, I'll say that I didn't even know that Corey had that information until just now. So he certainly hasn't <laughs> yeah. broken any NDAs with me. So, Brian, uh, I got eight emails from you asking for information. Don't you lie. <laughs> Those weren't just for kidding. me. That was for Doofin, man. Come on. Oh, of course. Yeah, he's That's, a dick. Yeah, that guy sucks. We all know that. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know for sure, Brad. Like, I, I think that Teamer is just an inherently powerful strategy and an, and an inherently balanced strategy. So I think that people, like, I, I don't, I, I think that people will, I think people can beat the deck uh, for sure. I think that pe there will be people trying to beat the deck. Um, so I don't think it's going to be like, absolutely dominant but it's hard for me to also just bet against it so I, i'm not 100 oh, I, I, I don't think it's going to have like I, I i think it'll have a relatively decent weekend i actually think it's going to be the second most played deck it's just do you you know in my position do you focus on the second most played deck or the combined what's going to what's going to be the most six what's going to be the most played deck rule mono green really okay yeah, I'm. I'm. I would. I'm very confident. Mono Green will be the the most played deck. I don't know why, but I am. I think the three 
green decks will be the most played top three decks and then yep uh i'm confident both demir decks are going to be fourth and fifth i don't know if esper will be a sixth or seventh but that's that's you know i, I have it in sixth or seventh i could see esper over demir control it could it could be i do think it is very good i mean i saw seth streaming it and i know that he was testing with like the the old pantheon guys so maybe a lot of them played esper Seth did stream Esper all last night, and usually if he's allowed to play his deck, he's going to play it. Right. Yeah, so, I, yeah, they could have all showed up with Esper. I think I think it's going to be three green decks. Um, I, I would still think that Teamer will be the most played, but... Um, I mean, it wasn't even, like, that, that always the most played deck in these other tournaments, either, like... Teamer, Teamer in the SCG, Teamer ramp was 53 pilots. Gruel and Mono Green were both 52 pilots, you know? Okay, yeah. It's closer than I thought, I guess. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know then. I, I do think that the green decks will be the top played decks, though, all three of them. But, yeah. Yeah. They're just, they're very powerful. And Are you guys but, saying green is a good color in Magic? That's pretty wild. It's weird that um, <laughs> they just keep, like, I looked at this. I actually went on a kind of little rant um to cedric the other day uh because i i was like i i don't think wizards understands how to uh to print a green card anymore because if you look at a mono green deck every single card except for thrashing brontodon does multiple things and why the hell do green cards do multiple things yeah they should be like, smashing <laughs> each, each one of them has multiple values right like yeah. two of them can be lands or spells that's insane gilded goose is the most ridiculous magic card printed in the last two years that's my opinion it's just not the most powerful but like i we mean learned from you don't have to sell me on hating one mana accelerants i think they are a scourge <laughs> yeah you always have hated them yeah it's yeah it's, printing that shit is so bad for magic like yeah wicked wolf is ridiculous Feasting Troll King was ridiculous right out of the box, you know, right out of the packs, but the rest of the format was so stupid that it couldn't do anything. Um, yeah, it was just an expensive elk for a while. Yeah, people yeah. people try to make it work, but yeah, no, it it, it is a powerful card. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, it's not, I, I'm not surprised at all that green continues to be a dominant color when it just, it has the ability to do everything, and it, all the cards do multiple things, like. Yeah, and also last time Scavenger News was in the format, it was just like a three or four of automatic when you used to actually attack and block in standard. Yeah. And it doesn't even make the main decks. And the third copy I have might be a mistake. Mm. Um, and I might have only supposed to play two, but I definitely just wanted as many anti-rogue cards as possible. Like, I just wanted one more card to be able to take one more card out. Yeah, well, I mean, Scavenging News just... Like in the context of like all these other green cards, it literally is like what you're saying green cards should be. It's just a green creature and it does do multiple, like, it, you know, it does, it's a green creature that has an ability that hates in the graveyard, it can get big. And that's like, like, that's all it does. And compare that to like, you know, Wicked Wolf, where it's like dominates the battlefield and kills a creature, or like Kazanyu right. Mammoth, where it's like enables the Great Hand on turn four and is a land drop. You know, like, I, I don't I mean, know. The it's Great just Hand like, is probably the most egregious card, to be honest. Like that card is one of the best cards in standard, and just gets so out of hand. Yes, I mean, well, that's yeah. just it. Like that's the, a power favorite, level thing, though. I don't think that card is like a bad card. Yeah. Friend. That's just my, my my favorite thing about looking when I look at this deck is like find the enabler because they all do multiple things and they all kind of enable each other synergize wise. But like you know, when we used to build decks like four years ago. 
five years ago, it would be like a Seder Wayfinder. That's a fucking enabler, right? Like you put that <laughs> yeah. in your deck to enable things for sure. <laughs> and, and it's like, I look at this deck and I'm like, I can't justify any of these as an enabler. Gilded because they all, but not really because it's a man accelerant. <laughs> it's both. It's the enabler yeah, well, and no, the accelerant. I'm saying it's both. I'm saying like a true enabler, you know, like a, they're all, they all enable each other. Like, you know, because they all synergize together. But I'm just saying like a, a dirtily enabler. I even was like, oh, it has to be the oven. I'm like, no, everything exiles removal. This actually just adds to the value of your deck. Right. Yeah. Um, it's wild. It's just a, it's just a wild format. Um, wild, wild to see how many powerful cards exist and how many ways you can build all of the decks. That that's, that's what blows me away when I, when I'm working on this format. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we're in agreement on that part of the metagame. Again, Corey can't talk about that. And we think that now, what do you think about these fringe decks? Are they all hit or miss? Um, I don't know anything about Celestine Adventures, to be completely honest. Like, I, I haven't played against it at all. I didn't even know it was a thing until this podcast. So, <laughs> that's well, top it at the SCG tournament. And uh, so, so I could have looked Bra at any deck results and I would have known. Cool. Yes, Bronze Rakdos, is that not a thing anymore? Like, no, that I mean, it seems bad. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. The problem, the biggest problem with Rakdos relative to the format is it doesn't have a card advantage engine, it has a card disadvantage engine. And so um, that's the big problem for a deck like Rakdos. And it's just how magic works, right? Casting yeah. Divination is almost always going to be better than casting Mind Rot. Doesn't, doesn't Rakdos only beat one deck? <laughs> like, isn't it only good <laughs> against rogues? Is it, I don't think it beats anything else. I don't know. Maybe yeah, but I'm it would wrong. be bad against your rogue deck. <laughs> I don't know if it would yeah, be bad. Yeah, you got bad. Soul Guide Lantern. You Lanterns, dude. Yeah. Lantern is so good against them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I still don't know if it would be bad, but I, yeah, I would probably be favored, honestly, with a bunch of Soul Guide Yeah. Lanterns, so. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, so we this... don't think Paulo is going to come with Rakdos this time, though? <laughs> I don't think so. No. <laughs> I, if if I had to guess, uh, Paulo is going to be on um, a really well-tuned uh, Gadwick Rogue deck. Okay. That's that's what I would have to guess. Um, I think I think he'll because, I think he'll be on something else, but I, I don't know. Just, uh, just knowing who they're all testing with, I feel like that. Um, that's just that's just my guess. I feel like Paulo's really good at. Like he he's been pretty spot on with his deck choices lately, and I I just oh yeah I don't I I could be very wrong, but I don't think that Gadwick deck's that good anymore, and I think he'll be on something else. But that's in the weeds a little bit. I think yeah. the Mardu, uh, I think the Mardu deck's good. I think it, it honestly, I think it might be better than Esper, but yeah, See, I, I don't. I, I, I think don't. it's better against the green decks, almost assuredly. See, I think it's better against well, okay, green decks as in team or ramp. I guess I kinda I kinda group that into the sense where you need counter spells against it. So I feel like it's it's more of a um, you know, a big mana deck. Um, but I I think I think negates and disputes and stuff is much better against team of rogues, personally. Well, so uh, well team of rogues. <laughs> I, I mean team, team, team of ramp. Team of so, ramp, excuse me. I agree with that, except for if you get a necrophobia off, I think that's what it's called. I it's small on my screen. I can't tell. But necromentia, I think it's called. Necromentia. So if you yeah. get a necromentia off, then it doesn't matter. It's like it's better than counter spells because they can like try to dispute yeah. or pick a turn. 
and you always have to worry about it. But if you get all of the Genesis ultimatums out of the deck, it no longer functions. It's just play a stupid idiot, kill a stupid idiot, play a stupid mm-hmm. idiot, kill a stupid idiot. The game, the game will almost deterministically end. Yeah, I actually, yeah, no, that's good reasoning. I, yeah. I actually think that the the um, Necromantia card is is a, is better than like for what Brad was saying. I think it's way better than counter spells at combating teamer. I don't yeah, even. Probably. I don't think that counter. I, I think that counter spells are good against teamer in a deck that has like a proactive kind of strategy. But the Yorion deck is just so slow and so reactive that. Yeah. Like your opponent just is like, oh, you have like uh, dispute. I'll just get to ten mana and then cast it. Which <laughs> yeah, it's going right, to be very know. easy to do. I think. Like I, so uh, I don't know. I I agree yeah. with that. And just start. All right, I changed my mind. Uh, I changed my mind after that. I, I I tend to agree with you, bro. Yeah, and I think Mono Red's going to have a terrible time because the top three decks all play Love Shark Beast. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I don't think that Mono Red will perform very and, well. And oh. well, the problem the problem is is all three of them also play. Well, I guess uh, uh, Teamer doesn't, but, you know, food and gruel's best way to combat each other is with artifact and enchant removal. And, you know, Red has always had to focus on artifacts to win, right? They need they need these Embercleaves to actually win these games. And, you know, now they're all playing like a bunch of Wilts and Thrashing Brontodon, so it even makes it worse. So what is the deal with Celestian Adventures? What do you think about that? I don't want to offer uh, opinion because I don't know anything about it. But uh, so I think I, I think that this this deck um, is very good against maybe last week's or people not in the nose like mono green. Like this deck seems very good against mono green in the sense that you just kind of like keep ha- putting all these like card advantage things into play and you know, all your creatures get counters and you can ECD their big things. Um, I do think that my version with three Ugans is going to be favored just because I have three Ugans and most lists play like zero to one, maybe two. Yeah. Mm. Um, three is an absurd amount of a card. I, I agree with you on that. You know, I, I came to just beat Doom decks like, you know, Doom and the Mirrors. I just think it's very good in both those matchups. Um, but so it's going to play well against this deck. But yeah, I think this deck is like decent against the green decks. And outside of that, I don't know. But um, it, I see it as a one, two, or three pilots in tournaments, and they all, it's always one of the top-performing decks, and it blows my mind because all the lists are kind of a little different because people are trying stuff, but it's doing well. And so I don't know, you know, of course, it's the smallest of sample sizes, and also it's just a few pilots, but, you know, it's Ken, it's Kenji dominated with it in his, uh, in his league play with it, you know? Like, he, he did quite well, and he even just chucked a match. With it, so I, I think that deck is pretty reasonable as well. But, I think it's. Yeah. I mean, this is just this could be horribly off base, but to me, it looks like a metagame deck and not a tier one deck. So, yes. like, I think that like it looks like the kind of deck that could dominate if the metagame's a certain way. Uh, but but like, which direction though is what I'm is what I'm wondering. What does this target? I, I don't know that answer, but I'm just saying, yeah. but like, when I look at this deck, these kinds of decks in general, too, it's like they're not really doing the most powerful thing in the format. So, like, no. if this deck became the best deck in the format, I think it could be very easily exploited. Um, whereas well, something like Rule has been at the top for so long and hasn't gotten that same level. Of, I mean, it, 
Yeah. There are decks that are good against Gruul now, but it's Gruul's still a big player despite. I that. mean, this this deck competes best against the green decks. It's for sure, right? Because like Yasharn's in the main deck, and the you know the only like that's good against Doom Patrol, but it's it has to be the most applicable against Mono Green. Because the only way to actually get it off the board if you're Mono Green is Ugin, or if you have the Great Henge and you play Wicked Wolf, because you can't sacrifice food. Hmm. That mean, yeah. For me, it seems like it targets food and Gruul. But it does not seem like it targets ramp in any way for me. If we're trying to group all the green decks into one, um, it seems like it's good against two of them and ramp, not at all. It, do, it does look like that this deck would struggle against Teamer. Yeah, you Genesis Ultimatum would slap this thing down. Here's a rules question for you, though. So Bronzehide Lion, I've never ever cast this card. Um, okay, okay. So when it dies, you can attach it to something, right? Yes. And... And if you attach it to something, uh, that that creature gains the indestructible ability and loses all its abilities. Does that mean that if you attach it to a Love Star Beast, it, it can attack even if you don't have a one one? Mm, I gotta actually just I mean, see the wording of this reads. card. I have no idea. I mean, that's how it reads, and it loses all other abilities. So, um. Huh. So if you activate its ability, it'll lose all of their abilities. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how it reads. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's pretty cute. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that this deck is probably not going to be a thing, but I, I'm interested to see where it goes because, you know, it's just been formula and it top eight of the tournament and you know, that makes me want to look, even if it didn't top eight and it went like X two or three and just fell into top 16 or top 32, I'd still be interested. Yeah, because these tournaments were huge. X two is a great record. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like 10 rounds or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see if anybody submits it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it took nine one to get to the top eight. Yeah, God, that's tough. That's tough. But yeah, I think I think that's it. Uh, I mean, I I definitely think that a a blue deck and a green deck are gonna do well this weekend, and I'm hoping mm -hmm. it's mono green uh, since <laughs> yeah. I'm playing it. But like, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, I mean, Gruel's also good. Like, all these decks also have close matchups. That's one thing that you have to see. Like, there's a few like high variance matchups out there. Like, Teamer is very good against mono green. But then, like, Mono Green is slightly better against Gruul, and it's, you know, like, there's just a lot of close matchups out there. And I just like the way, you know, just from hearing both of you talk about your decks, I like the way that you both thought about the direction and how the games played out. I think you both have great lists in regards to how you've prepared for the decks, you know, not saying I would play Rogues just because that's my play style. Um, but I, I like the way that you have approached stuff with the lanterns and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think you guys will do pretty well. I'll, I'll be wishing you the best. Yeah, uh, and well, I don't know. Seen our historic decks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how well rogues will perform. I, I don't have super high expectations for my performance in that regard. But mm -hmm. that was just the deck I came to. So we'll see. Yeah, hopefully you guys get four uh, points. I mean, you gotta both think that that is the the thing you guys want the most, right? Like money is fine and everything, but top eighting and getting four points in your league play is has got to just be the goal, right? 
Like top eight is the goal for you guys? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's my goal. My goal is to do my best and have fun. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm just okay. going to play Magic and try to win. So, you know, yeah. like I, I'm not really too yeah. worried about Bri it. Brian, Brian and I are both uh, characters from a VHS Mad TV skit. <laughs> yeah. Does either of you know where I'm going? Uh, no. No. Lowered expectations. Still don't even did, know what that did, means. <laughs> you've never, you've never seen lowered expectations skits from Mad TV. I've seen Mad TV, and I can only remember the Stewart uh, skits because really, oh, uh, really, they were all bad. But you know, that was yeah. Lowered expectations was by far my favorite skit. Um, on that TV, so it's like back in the day before the internet, you would send in VHSs of yourself for like a dating program. Okay, like, I'm from this area. This is my name. This are my interests. And then this company would take all these VHSs, make a string of them, you know, an hour long of them, and then send those out like whatever. Like, well, back then it was probably just like they they only did uh, straight binary people. Um, and so they would send, they would make all the men video into one long thing and send it to all the women and all the women make one video out of their entries and send it to all the men. And then you would send an information on who you would match. And if you'd match up with them, like this is like eighties, how the eighties worked or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And, and that was the service. And so these are like entries into this program, but it's like gotcha. the company's called lowered expectations and it's just <laughs> a bunch of like fucked up individuals. Hmm. Hmm. There's one Mad TV sketch that, I uh, like, is one of my pinnacles of humor. Like, I, I Mad TV as a show, I can't say it was that great, but <laughs> yeah, there's a one skit where it was some TV show about a brother and a sister, and it was like it was like rolling in with the intro to the show, and the intro just kept dragging on and on and providing more and more info on the characters than was entirely necessary. And it was like a three plus minute long intro song, like deep diving into these characters backstories. And then it finally, and it gets to the actual show itself and the dude's sitting on the couch and his sister walks into their shared apartment and she's like, Hey, do you want to go to the Vincent Van Gogh exhibit tonight? And he's like, probably Van, don't go. And then it rolls credits. That was the entirety of the episode. It was just such a beautiful no, punchline. That's like that's like humor ahead of its time. It reminds me of um the uh what what's the guy, the Lonely Island guy? Samberg. Samberg. There was yeah. a skit with Andy Samberg and a bunch of other people. Uh that um shoot it was uh i don't know what show it was but there's a show where somebody got shot and it was a weird like throwaway or like transition and it had the like an enya song or an emotion heap song and so the skit pretty much is making fun of this tv show where that shot happened like someone gets shot and then it cuts to the person reacting to shooting them oh you're yeah. talking about the it's gotta uh, be brooklyn nine nine no, right? no 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 no. this who's is snl oh who's, okay okay god who's that guy that's like that actor Shia LaBeouf, he was in this thing, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf was in it. Yes. And so the entire the entire skit is just people constantly shooting each other. Yes. And the song restarting. <laughs> yeah. And and, 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 and just obscene reactions to it. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, great. That was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It was the it was the AKA Dear Sister skit. I'm just looking it up. 
Um, mm. And but this was this skit is like so ahead of its time because it's like the first time that there was just no real setup, no real purpose. It was just humor for the face of humor. And yours sounds like that, too, where it's just like that drug on humor that is like now like I feel like that that's both of these skits were ahead of their time. Yeah, because a lot of the humor now is just doing this shit when nothing, nothing was like that back then. Nothing like, you know, Stewart came from Stewart's time and <laughs> everything Jim Carrey did came from Jim Carrey's time. But Jim yeah. Carrey stuff has not translated. This Eddie Saber skit has lived the testament of time. It's still fucking hilarious. Oh, it's so yeah, great. I was, yeah. I was just going to say the Stewart stuff. God, that that is not the shining moment in Mad TV, but it's the only thing I remembered from it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will send you this video, Corey. It's really good. Okay, I'll check it out. All right. Well, I guess I mean maybe we should uh, maybe we should actually end this so Brian can get to his thing. Let's. Uh, let's I was gonna say we're cutting it real close on time. Let's. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's we, we will. We will do the cast and crew. Thanks again for everyone for listening, and thank you for uh, everyone that supports the show at patreoncom podcast. And now it is your time to bask in the spotlight. Well, we butcher your names and talk about your fake jobs. That's yes, right. love it. Okay, so first first up, we got Richie, and that is the Bash Bros accountant. You know, we are heinous with handling money, and we need we need someone to hold us accountable. The weird thing about Richie is that he keeps, like, he might be our accountant, and I, maybe I just don't know what an accountant does, but he keeps asking me for my laundry. Like, that to me is a different job. Like that is not. He just, he just wants to make it clean, Brian. Make it clean again. I guess he's just. He keeps talking about laundry and shit. I don't know. I don't get it. Whatever. I don't know. I, I, I thought we've talked about this, but the things that we're doing this year might not be technically legal, or non technically legal either. Really. Yes. <laughs> we might have to Van go to prison. <laughs> Well, with Richie's with Richie's help, we are good. There's a special well, guest there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god. Oh yeah, I'm next. Oppo is our research director. Um I, I, I do think that we need some of this research in hand, uh, or or fist or something, but Oppo, you do a good job researching, you know, all of our new directors since we have to fire Jonathan. Yeah, I think I think Oppo is bar none the best research director we have because oh he said it yes I did <laughs> he's only, he, he did a lot of research on bird law recently which is very informative so <laughs> all right next up we have Wapa and that is Brad's personal barista and his personal dog walker but added insult for no reason to his job. <laughs> He won't walk me, and he doesn't get me coffee. That's fucked up. That's wow. Fucked would it be better? Up. Would it be better if he got you coffee or walked you? Like, would you just be happy with one, or did you want both? You know, one is fine, and it doesn't matter which one it is. But neither—that's that's a little much. So, well, here's the best podcast. Your feelings don't matter, Brian. Mm. Wow, rude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and also your words don't matter. Thanks to our next casting crew. That's Adham. And it's our ghostwriter. Nothing we say is original. It is all Adham 100% of the time. And we, we accept it. Yeah, it, it, and that only was the case after he died in a terrifying motorcycle accident. <laughs> oh, that was Ghost Rider, Brad. Uh, yeah, Brad. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just got to say we're living in a simulation and it's created by Adham and we're just actors on a stage. It's all fucked up. But. We had we had our mm-hmm. second. Sorry, I know that we're running late, but I'm going to do this. Fast. We had our second. What the fuck simulation moment. Now, Amber and I once ordered. I put this online and no one really got it. I We ordered on the phone food from an Italian place. And when we got there, Corey's name was on the ticket. Corey Baumeister. We had no fucking clue how that's possible. Right. Okay. Um, and and I put it online and everyone's like, oh, you ordered online or whatever. We have we have no idea how that was possible. Um, because this phone number was never attached to Corey. The card was never attached to Corey. They shouldn't have had that name. But then the other day, Amber was going through Starbucks and the person's like, Oh, hey, Amber. And Amber's like, How the fuck do you know me? Because the the way she purchases is, is through my name, like the the account. Yeah. And and it's like, oh, how you been and everything. And Amber doesn't know. She's like, All right, see you bye. And Amber's just like, Who are you? You know, like to be, you, to be fair, you could explain the Corey one because I technically pay the AT and T bill, so maybe they just have it show up as the person who oh, has the AT and T. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Oh, maybe they have like, uh, yeah, they probably have um the caller ID for cell phones. Yeah, yeah, caller ID just shows the main person on the plan. I bet you know. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know because yeah. we don't know anyone from here, so I don't know how Amber knows a barista. But anyway, oh, David, Watt, David Watt is the next person in our cast and crew. And, uh, well, we don't know any baristas around here. Ew, Rapa, of course, of course. Rapa yeah. sends everything from Hawaii. It takes a while, but it's delicious. <laughs> um, and we is have to mail Brad? our dogs to get walks. It's, it's not the best system. Anyway, mm-hmm. David Watt is fired. Next. Mm. Yep. And we're rehiring David Watt. Special <laughs> guest screener. Does a great job. No complaints. All right, we got Gino Batista. So actually he was originally, so he's actually the OG expert in bird law. You guys might not have known that. Gino Batista knows a lot about the bird laws. <laughs> oh, really? He was okay. actually going to be the guest this week. But as many of you know who've been following, he's been in prison lately. Um, yeah. Not anymore. We didn't. What, what well, happened? That's right. What? I mean, we didn't hear it from Gino's mouth. He, or sorry, we didn't, or? he didn't. We, no, he escaped him and his brother and four other inmates. Who, what? Yeah, they used the so they had gone to the infirmary and gotten some tools there uh, due to their connections. They used those to escape the prison. Read about it in the news. Um, Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! That's well, right. Oh no, it's not real. That's not do we still, real. Do we still want to have Gino on the podcast, though? I mean, I feel like they're gonna find Gino if there's they a paper trail. Find him quick because they are all felons and they're gonna vote for Biden and they're they're gonna count it. Those dirty Democrats. Wow. <laughs> Way to shift that, Bradley. <laughs> Anyways, next up we got Paul Kakarowski, and that's whoa, BBD's wall. Whoa! Hey, we BBD's in a hurry. Time. We might not have time, but we got time for this. All right, Paul, cat, <sighs> guys. Today he doesn't have a soda. He fucked it up. He didn't bring a soda. No, uh, no, nope. it's worse than that. You're out of soda. Yes, today is the worst oh, day of my no. life. I've been dreading wow. this moment since we started the podcast because you know my pre-podcast ritual of getting the soda ready. I have Coke Zero upstairs. You could have just taken a can. Yeah, I could have, but I want my uh, misery to be felt and experienced by all. 
Well, we need somebody to be taking pictures of that misery. And that's Paul, because that is BBD's wall staring photographer. Yep. And next up, we got Max, who is Corey's linguistic coach. And uh, I heard is going to be um, helping Corey with, uh, you know, saying the right people in order when he's when he's referring to people. Like instead mm. of like my me and my brother saying my brother and I. So that's, that's, on, that's on the docket now, right? You're taking those lessons, Corey? No, he's actually still been sending me linguine recipes. So I think uh, we got to figure out Max's true job. All right. <laughs> Speaking of true jobs that we won't or haven't figured out, I'm going to just be blunt right here. I don't fucking know what Phil does. <laughs> and I mm. still don't know, and I'm not going to find out. What would you say you do here? In fact, at this well, point... Well, thank you for finally being honest, Brian. You know, it, it <laughs> took some time, and for, you know, the first step or whatever, you know, denial, or I don't know how that all works. But all I do know one thing is that at this point in time, if I found out what Phil did, even if it was something awesome, it would be a massive letdown. So... Yeah, it's going to be know. really cool at this point. Next up, we got JP. New job here, you know, since we couldn't figure out what Phil did um, at all, you know, so we upgraded him to the BBP general manager and, you know, tried to maybe manage Phil. If we, if it's not Phil's actual job coach, at least we're going to try to manage the people a little bit. So thanks, so I JP. I don't get how, if JP can't, you know, work with one person, how did we hire them to be the manager of multiple people, including Phil? It's a it's a merit based system, Brad. Mm, yes, I hate this corporate lifestyle. It's all bullshit. It is. Yes. <laughs> all right. Next up is Jason Florent, who is Corey's nemesis. And you might ask, uh -huh. why would your nemesis be someone that beats you all the time? And I would say, have you seen Reed Duke? That man's <laughs> my fucking nemesis. It's it's, Fair. it's all about Fair. the underdog story. There, you gotta. Yeah. Next up, we got Sultan Abbasi, and that is our designated mana dork. And once again, sponsored by Gilded Goose with all <laughs> yeah. this mono green food coming well, around. Still Gilded can, Goose, yeah. Yeah. We can wait this a little bit, right? And just, is Max Opal a creature? <laughs> oh, fair. All right. All right. I don't know, but it's not legal in any format that we care about right now. That is true. That is oh, true. Yeah. Or not Mox Opal, Mox Amber. There it is. Okay. There we go. <laughs> it's your own fiance's name, I'm telling. <laughs> that's that's fine. <laughs> oh, all right. So <laughs> next up, we've got Eric Null, who is <sighs> the lost trash of Uranus. Of where? Which it's not a job. It's not even a person anymore. It's just <laughs> trash lost on Uranus. I believe that's the planet Uranus that you're referring to. Uh, is course, that actually yes. how it's pronounced? I believe so, yes. No way. It's Uranus? I think hey, so. Hey, let's not say that, y'all, because then we know Eric is going to change his job title if it doesn't involve a butt. Do you know what's my favorite <laughs> thing that I've realized? That people way back in the day that named shit and did science and stuff were also just as disgusting and filthy as we are. <laughs> like, so... Uh, Amber showed me this thing, like these little pendants of like, well, like during like prohibition and all of this, like cracking down on sexual stuff way like hundreds of years ago, there's these little pendants that people would wear of women. But if you turn them around, they're just like drawn porn. <laughs> like nice. Yeah. I'm so, just saying, like people were just gross and filthy even back then. What do you mean? <laughs> even back then people I, that I, person yeah. knew that person that named it Uranus knew it was Uranus. 
So I looked it up and it's actually pronounced it's actually pronounced Uranus. Yay! So we can all breathe a sigh of relief. That's the only thing that we can breathe, but <laughs> sounds like yeah. BBD's the butt of all of our jokes today. Oh it's a low bar to clear. All right, Gare Meldy. <laughs> he is the merch store manager. Hats off to Gare Meldy because we've got some sick merch. Yeah, we got some sick merch, and we might actually get those sleeves going here if people are interested in them. So in the Discord, I made I made a thing because Drangeld asked me to, but if y'all are interested in those sleeves, let us know on social media or in the Discord, and uh, we might have Gare add them to the party. Yeah, we've got some and... possible new merch that, that I think looks really fucking cool, but I know I'm yeah. biased, so. Yeah, it is pretty fucking cool. I was a huge fan. And next up, we got Patrick, which is our office party coordinator. Uh, once again, not too much activity on the office party side, but we're hopeful that we're going to get them going soon. I'm not. 2020 <laughs> is miserable, and we're at the well, highest 20, number. 2021, we're on our way. We're on our way to 300,000 people infected a day. Oh. Anyway. Brad, uh, Brad, yep, Brad's next person to talk about is Filippo Scalitis, <laughs> who is our Aspros podcast liaison. Now, you might ask what that is because the Aspros podcast doesn't exist and it's a dead joke and we should stop doing it. But then you would get told by Brian and Corey that we'll never change. All right. Exactly. Next up in our cast and crew is BBD, and there's no description there. Why did you guys put me in the cast and crew and then not provide a job description? Yeah. Oh wait, I'm supposed to remove I'm supposed to talk about the next person. That's why my name's there. All right. Uh next up is Loror. Loror is oh sorry, I do have a job description. It's asshat. I just got added. Um <laughs> I'm the I provide hats for everyone's anuses. All right, Loror is our CEO. He is, runs the operation promoted from somebody that we don't know at all. And hmm. yeah. But he plays a low profile on it, so it's cool. I'd be curious. Would you just lay your your face onto people's ass to be an asshat? Uh, never mind. Okay. Next up, we got Victor, and that is our executive producer. And, you know, Victor dropped a nice little uh, picture in our Discord about producing here. It was actually Spartan kicking me off of off a ledge, so I don't know exactly how that's producing. But you know what? I don't ask questions. But it was pretty funny if you guys haven't seen it. I, I forgot where it was at. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny. But you'll have to check it, it out later. Good, but I don't remember where. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I am producer. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was really I good. I am producer. Yeah, why are you going to kick me? What the hell? And the last and certainly least yeah. is Dr. Uggs, <laughs> our resident proctologist. And Dr. Uggs does not realize that three people need an on-call proctologist but <laughs> they keep their they do their job hey we don't know phil might need it too we we haven't confirmed hey, we that. actually have no idea yeah well you know the saying if you love your job you pay 20 dollars a month to keep it yeah <laughs> and you never work a day in your life too yeah because none of these people none of these people are real and these jobs are all fake so <laughs> all right thank you everyone though for supporting our, um, our our lovely podcast we truly appreciate each and every one of you a few of you though however uh i still need addresses to send out shirts so please check patreon.com 
Uh, log in and check if you have any messages. You do. Hint, you do. <laughs> a few of you also for our mini-sodes, uh, you, you have a couple messages because you get to pick topics on the mini-sodes thanks to your uh, subscription. So please check those out if you have any good ideas for them. And yeah, we have more work for you, basically. So get on it. Yeah, and that's it for now. Um, I mean, if you give us addresses and sizes, we'll send you cool shit, you know? And Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it for now. I know Brian has to go. Thank you for being the special guest. And uh, we will see everyone next week with another episode, hopefully a celebratory one after winning the Zendikar Championships. Good luck and have fun in all of your tournament endeavors this weekend. See y'all. Goodbye.